Happy Easter, everybody. We are so honored to be with you today. Most of the time when we gather as a church, we would look into the camera and welcome all of our campuses. Uh, But now we have way more than 14 campuses. We're spread out in homes and apartments and living rooms, and we are just honored. You actually are inviting us into your place. And so I'm here with some of my friends uh, here on the worship team, and we are just honored to celebrate Easter. You know, through the years, the church traditionally has this thing where the the pastor will get up and he'll say, Christ is risen. And then the congregation will say, Christ is risen indeed, or he is risen indeed. And I thought, why not have a responsive moment like that uh, in all of our living rooms? And so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna say Christ is risen. And I want you guys to say, he is risen indeed. And our worship team will will help us with that as well. And so if you wanna record it, if you wanna post that to your your, uh, social media, that's fantastic. But let's say that together. Christ is risen Come on. You know, there is so much that is different about this Easter as opposed to last Easter. You know, here at Seacoast, last Easter, we were really concerned about a CO uh, to move into this new building and we were opening up a brand new space and we had record crowds. And this Easter, there's a different CO. It's COVID that the whole nation, the whole world is concerned about. And we're, we're not gathered in a building, but we're scattered throughout homes. You know, there's, there's so much different. The Easter egg hunts. Last Easter, you probably had a neighborhood hunt if you have kids and everybody got together and did that. And if you did that this Easter, you are the topic of your neighborhood's Facebook <laughs> conversation. You know, like we're, we're having to think differently about all of that. But you know what's not different this Easter? Is that there was a grave years ago in Israel that on a Friday and on a Saturday it housed Jesus's body. But on Sunday, that grave was empty and that grave is still empty today. And we're, we're going to celebrate that together. I want to I bring a message this Easter that I'm going to call Graves into Gardens. I came up with that name on my own. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. You may have heard us uh, that the song Elevation Church released it. Brandon Lake, one of our worship pastors, was part of writing the song called Graves into Gardens. And this week, God kind of had me thinking about this idea of graves and gardens, Because that phrase, graves into gardens, really doesn't make any sense in the natural world, does it? Think about the difference between those two words. When you think about the word garden, what comes to mind for you? You you can maybe even comment some of that in the chat on whatever platform that you might be using, but what comes to mind when you think about a garden? Uh, I know Brandon said earlier, most worship leaders' tattoos have gardens in them. That's (laughs) kind of funny. Uh, but, But I think about life. I think about uh, food, sustenance. I think about potential. You know, gardens represent hope. They represent life. They represent potential. But then think about the word grave. What does that say to you? Your graves represent death. It represents endings. It represents finality, mortality. And even as we talk about it right now, it brings about very different emotions in us when we think about a garden versus a grave. And in all of our natural lives, we really start as a garden, right? You think of new life, a baby is born and they've got all this potential. They've got all this hope. They've got all this. But, but eventually what happens is we begin to work our way towards an end date, a, a grave. I promise the message is going to get a little more, more hopeful as we move forward. But that's, that's nature. That's kind of how things go. We progress from a garden to a grave. This Easter, what I want us to do is we're going to look at three gardens in the Bible. And what we're going to find is that they actually 
led to the same result. They became graves. And then we're going to see how the resurrection changes everything. So the first garden, you guys will remember it. It's the most famous garden in the Bible, but it's the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden. And ultimately, the Garden of Eden became a grave of regret. Think, think about it for a minute. Adam and Eve, they had it made, right? I mean, they were living in paradise. They had all their needs met. They weren't stressed about the future. When they went out on their quarantine walk, they didn't have no CMs or mosquitoes that were, were, were chasing them down. They were living in paradise and they made one mistake and that mistake cost them everything. They were banished from the garden. It says in Genesis 3:23, so God expelled them from the garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they had been made. Can you imagine for a second the feelings that they must have had as they walked away from the garden, as they walked away from what was innocent and perfect and their needs were met and one choice that they made caused them to lose it all. You know, the, 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 the feeling is regret. You know, if I had just not done that, it wasn't worth it. You know, the apple didn't taste that good, but yet it cost them everything and it became a grave of regret. Have you ever found yourself asking that question? What, what would have happened if? What would have happened if I would have finished that degree or if I would have kept working out or if I wouldn't have gotten behind that wheel or if I wouldn't have said those words that I said? It's this feeling that we all have from time to time of regret. We, we, we've got graves of regret. How would the story have been different? You know, I think about that often. I go back to the very first time I ever spoke a message or preached. I was at a youth camp. It was years and years ago. I was about 18 years old. And God used me in a way. I spoke to these students and, and all I can say about it is God showed up and, and people responded. People came to Christ and it felt amazing. It felt like a garden. It felt like a new season. I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never considered that maybe ministry was in my future. But in that moment, it was like, Ah, a new birth, a new season for me. And so I, I began to intern with the church and I began to pursue this calling that God had on my life. But I also fell in love with one of the students. Not a good idea. You know, they had a rule in place at the time that, that you know, adult volunteers weren't allowed to date students. I still think that's a good rule that we should have in place. I was 18 years old and this particular student was 17 and, and she was beautiful. In fact, I ended up marrying her. Uh, but but it, it, it actually cost me my job. One year from the day that I spoke that message, I was fired from Seacoast Church. And, and listen, I know that many of you have dealt with this situation. You've lost a job before. Some of you have lost a job recently because of the economy, because of different circumstances. But just know this, you weren't fired from your dad's church. That's a whole nother level <laughs> of losing your job. And, and, you know, I'll never forget how it felt though, not knowing, like I thought that this was a garden. I thought this was gonna be some, a great future for me. And for three years, I kind of wandered around in the wilderness. I struggled in school. I ended up working in the food and beverage industry, which by the way, you guys are rock stars. I love you that work in food and bev. We're praying for you, we're for you, and, and we're all gonna get through this together. But, but I knew that God had wired me for something different, but I found myself just wandering around in the season. And it felt in a lot of ways for me, like a grave, like a dream had, had been lost because of a mistake that I made. Uh, and, and if I would have just waited three more months to express my love to, 
to Lisa, who then became my wife, I'd still be working in ministry. And, and I found myself just flailing around and wondering. And I dealt with a lot of regret at that point. I didn't regret dating Lisa. I just wish I would have had some self-control to wait a little bit longer. It's this, this garden, uh, this grave of, of, of regret. Can anybody else relate to that? Can you relate to regretting something? Yeah. You did something, you said something. Maybe it caused innocence to be lost. Maybe it caused a relationship to break up. It's, it's, a, it's a grave of regret. Some of us, there was a relationship that, that began as a garden on that first date or even at that moment at the altar. And you never imagined that it would end this way. It's a grave of regret. All of us can relate. Romans 5.12 sums it up really well. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through that one man in the Garden of Eden and death entered through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all of us have sinned. If you're breathing air on planet earth, you're familiar with the grave of regret. But there's another garden that actually shows up during Easter week, and it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And I put some passages of scripture on there to, 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 that you can read through on your outline if you're look, working through that digitally. But, but here's what happens. Jesus finishes his last meal with his disciples and then they go to this beautiful garden. I've been there. It's on the Mount of Olives. It's in Israel. It overlooks Jerusalem. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. Olive trees everywhere. And he goes there to pray. And he asks his disciples, he asks a couple of them, hey, come with me, stay with me, pray with me. And they don't, they fall asleep. And ultimately this garden of Gethsemane becomes a grave of betrayal for Jesus. As Judas, this guy who had followed him for three years, had been in his kind of planning meetings, his vision meetings to, to make this happen, to, to go after this dream. And he, he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And the garden of Gethsemane, becomes a grave of betrayal. Not only that, but the ones that he counted on, his friends who've sworn, we will never walk away from you, Jesus. We got your back. We're gonna be with you. They, they can't even stay awake and pray with him as Jesus kind of prays through this critical moment in his life. Have you ever experienced the grave of betrayal? That feeling when you were totally blindsided by somebody? You thought the relationship was in, in this place and, and all of a sudden in a moment you realize you were blindsided. You were caught off guard. Somebody walked away or they, they, they cheated or whatever it is, you've been blindsided, you've been betrayed. Most of us, if we've been in relationships long enough, we've experienced the grave of betrayal. What started as a garden, a hopeful deal ends or it goes through these seasons where they become Graves. The Garden of Gethsemane became a grave of betrayal. The third garden in the Bible is a lesser known garden, but it's the Garden of Golgotha. The Garden of Golgotha, and it ultimately would become a grave of finality. I wanna show you in John chapter 19, this is kind of the, the account of after Jesus has been crucified. It says, there was a garden near the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been placed. So because it was Sabbath preparation, they had to shut things down for the Jews. The tomb was convenient. And so they placed Jesus in this tomb. This garden of Golgotha, which by the way, Golgotha is translated place of the skull. It becomes a, a grave of finality. And you know, there's no grave quite as difficult to get through than the grave of death. There's nothing that we experience in our lives that feels more final than death. 
This week, I've been walking a family through the loss of a, just a, a beautiful young mom of a couple of children who lost her life way too early. And it brought back memories of some of the moments that we've experienced as a family. I'll never forget the day when Lisa, my wife, called me about 20 years old and said that her sister had died in a plane crash. Totally blindsided, totally unexpected. And the weight of that and the waves of grief just felt so final. Death is this ultimate curtain that separates us from from people that we have walked with, from people that we have loved. You know, it's absolutely devastating. And I can't imagine what the disciples had to feel in this moment where they're taking the body, not only of their friend, but of their savior, of their hope. I mean, this we were supposed to change the world together. We were supposed to establish a new kingdom and we're laying this body into a grave. And Jesus had told them that, that this was coming, but still they couldn't have been prepared for it. And they lay him in a grave and they roll the stone and they walk away and they're experiencing the grave of finality. It feels like it's the end. What, what started as an incredible beginning ends with a terrible, terrible ending. But little did they know that this ending was actually just the beginning. That these graves that we're talking about all were getting ready to turn into a garden. The garden that had become a grave was getting ready to become a a garden again. And we we pick up the account in John 20, uh, verses 11 through 18. Mary, who was a dear friend of Jesus, it says this, uh, she was standing outside the tomb crying. That's very normal and natural when you're talking about graves, right? It's what we do. We mourn and we weep. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And look at the question that they ask her. Dear woman, why are you crying? You know, they knew that this grave had already become a garden. So they were like, hey, it doesn't make any sense for you to be crying. And so she answers, she says, well, because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. She assumed that the body had been stolen. I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. That is just insane. This body that they laid in a grave, now he's standing there. And I love it because, um, He says to her the same question, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener of all things. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go and I'll get him. She's determined to find closure. She's determined to do what's right with his body. And then resurrected Jesus says her name, says a word that changes everything, Mary, Jesus said, she turns to him and she cries out, Rabbanai, which is not actually an Italian dish. It's, it's Hebrew for teacher. She says, Jesus, teacher. And this is so funny, verse 17. Jesus says, don't cling to me, which was the first noted case of social distancing right there. He says, hey, don't, don't get close, don't get close. He says, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I've seen the Lord. She gave them this message. And from that moment where she became the first to preach the risen Christ in that moment, 
that moment, that, that, that gospel message has been preached over and over and over again. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Yes. It just does. There have been many people have come before claiming that they are God, but none have come out of the grave other than Jesus. And it's a historical fact. This isn't just something we kind of wishfully think. There, there were hundreds of witnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's the anchor of our faith. And, 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 and it changes everything. It has a dramatic impact on our life today. In fact, what it means for us is that our graves can become gardens again. I love Romans 8 verse 11. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to our mortal bodies by this same spirit that is living in you. The mortal bodies that we have can have new life, eternal life. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. He said, Easter is death working backwards. Isn't that great? Easter is death working. All of our natural lives, it's like you're moving towards the grave, but Easter spins the whole thing on its head and it's death working backwards. You know, Jesus overcame the grave and with that, he overcame all of our sin, all of our regret, all of the relational issues that we have. And because of the resurrection, our graves can become gardens. I wanted to share three thoughts for you about the graves becoming gardens. Number one, the grave of regret can become a garden of hope. The grave of regret can become a garden of hope. First Peter 5, 10 through 11 says, the suffering that we're going through won't last forever. You need to know that, by the way. This season that we're in, this suffering, we take it seriously. We're working through it. It's not gonna last forever. He says, it won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, he will have put you together, have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. I love that verse. You know, because of the resurrection, my, my grave of regret can become a garden of hope. I told you earlier about the season of my life where I was kind of wandering around and trying to figure out what am I gonna do with my life? I felt like I was called into ministry, but, but that door had closed on me. And I spent most of that time working at a restaurant called Outback Steakhouse, you know, which is not Australian at all, but we, we <laughs> pretend to be. And, uh, and, and, and we just, we did our best to build relationships. We didn't lose our faith, but we, we felt like it, it, we wanted to honor the season that we were in, but we, we were mourning what we were missing as well. But we plugged in and we met some people. One of, one of the most significant people in my life back then was Rob Coonan. He was our manager at Outback and he actually owned, owned the restaurant and got to know him, ended up doing the wedding for him and his wife, Sonia. And, and then eventually this grave became a garden again and I got back into ministry. And, and but I, I loved those days, but Rob and I lost touch over the years. And it wasn't until 15 years later that I got a phone call from Rob Coonan. And he was a mess. He had moved away and he said, Josh, I need to talk to you. My, my son, Riley, who was 10 years old at the time, died in the middle of the night, completely unexpectedly. And it was heart wrenching. And he said to me on the phone, he said, Josh, I know that something like this is either gonna drive me far away from God or it's gonna drive me close to him. And I want, I want your help in, in figuring this out. And so Lisa and I dropped everything. We drove up to, to Raleigh and we just, we just were with them. We just walked this family through the loss of a 10-year-old son. And I, I didn't know the right words to say. 
you know, it's, it's so difficult to walk through a circumstance like that. But, but he asked me to help him. And so I said, Rob, you're going to be closer to the Lord because of this. In fact, I don't, Rob and I talk a lot now, but he, he would say he believed in the Lord, but he really surrendered his life to Christ in those days. His wife did as well. They got really plugged into this church from afar and then another church there. And, and they began to find some meaning, some garden out of their grave. And trust me, their hearts are still wrecked. That was four years ago. And I spoke to him just earlier today and they're still, still grappling with that but they've opened up Riley's Rainbows, which is a nonprofit that really helps spread the love of God through different ways in his memory. And then they're, they're, they're doing as well as you can imagine. But here's why I tell you that. What I thought was a grave of regret was actually an assignment. God had me at Outback Steakhouse because he had an assignment for me, a ministry assignment that was connected to, to the purpose that I had in life. And, and I couldn't see that until years and years later. And so I don't know what grave of regret you're in right now. I don't know where you find yourself going. If, if only I would have this, that, or the other, but because of the resurrection, your, your grave of regret can become a garden of hope. You can have every reason to believe that your best days are in front of you, that you can be empowered, that God's going to use every bit of pain that you've been through, every bit of regret that you have, and he's going to use it for his glory. And he's going to use it to help other people as well. See, when we carry the grave of regret, usually we add the grave of shame, of guilt onto that. And I'm just believing that this Easter, Jesus just wants to break the curse of guilt, of shame, of regret over your life. Say, your sin is forgiven under me. If you'll just acknowledge that I am who I said that I am. Our garden, our graves of regret can become gardens of hope. You know, the second thought for us is that the grave of betrayal can become a garden of forgiveness. The grave of betrayal can become a garden of forgiveness. You know, we've all walked through this before. We've all had people that said they were gonna be with us that ended up walking out, out on us. They walked away from us. And I just wanna encourage you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, one, one of the, the ways that, that scripture puts it, he says, it reconciled us to God so that we could become ministers of reconciliation, so that we could become people of forgiveness, so that where the world sees a relationship goes, there's no way that should, should continue. That There's no way you should forgive that. But we go, you know what? I've been forgiven of so much that I'm gonna become a minister of reconciliation and that those graves of betrayal can become gardens of relationship. And I'm telling you, some of my closest relationships today have been through some bumpy spots in the past where it'd be easy to walk away from it, but the resurrection power of Christ can turn those graves of betrayal into gardens of forgiveness and friendship. And the last thought for us is that the grave of finality can become a garden of new life. The grave of finality can become the garden of new life. And I'm talking about two kinds of new life. I'm talking about eternal life, Jesus said, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in me could, could experience this eternal life. And that is great news. John eleven twenty five at a funeral said this. He said, I am the, the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live again. I give them eternal life for believing in me and they will never perish. It's very simple, very clear that, man, we can have the promise that death, as hard as it can be, is not the end of the story. Yeah. That our graves 
will become gardens. If God can resurrect a dead body, what can't he resurrect in our lives? What can't he bring restoration to? You know, the the resurrection gives me hope for new life for all of eternity so that those, those loved ones that I know that have passed away, that I can have hope, that I can see them again as we are in Christ. And, but, but, but here's the good news, that, that new life, that eternal life, we don't have to wait till we die to experience it. It can start right now. It can start today. God can begin to turn our graves into gardens. You know, I've probably heard or said at least a hundred times over the last couple of weeks, you know, I wonder when life's gonna go back to normal. I wonder when life's gonna go back to normal. We're all dealing with, with this coronavirus and you know, uh, it's changed everyone's life in some way or another, financially, relationally. Gosh, I wish we were in church together, but God is using this. And, and, and here's, here's the, the, the good news about the resurrection. Because Jesus came out of the grave, we don't ever have to go back to life as normal. If, if normal is regret, if normal is guilt, if normal shame, betrayal, death, we don't ever have to go back to life as normal. God wants to give us new life and it can start today. And here's what I'm believing. I'm just believing that even this coronavirus deal, it's been so difficult, but I'm believing that out of the grave of coronavirus is gonna come the garden of many people, hundreds of people, thousands and thousands around the world that are gonna come to find hope in Jesus Christ and see him bring their graves into gardens. And I, I hope and I pray that that would happen for you this weekend. Jesus describes the life, what that new life looks like. John 10, 10, he said, the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah, that's in the cards for you, that you could have new life. Whatever grave you might be walking through today, I wanna encourage you with the same words that John used to kind of close out this chapter of, of John, John 20, he said this, he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you can have life in His name. That's why He told the story. That's why we're doing Easter today, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that He came to save the world, that He came to forgive our sins, that He lived a life of no sin so that we wouldn't have to be buried by our sin. And that just by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. I believe that you died for my sins and I believe that you came out of that grave and that we continue to to have our faith anchored in a living hope, a living God who is alive and at work in our circumstances right now. And in acknowledging that, that we can be saved, that we can receive eternal life. What's stopping you from making that decision today? As we close, I would just ask you to consider where are the graves in your life today? Maybe you've been struggling in the grave of regret. Maybe you've been struggling with relational issues, the grave of betrayal, broken relationships. Maybe you are facing your own mortality or the mortality of somebody that you love. And I just wanna encourage you that today, that grave can turn into a garden. And all it takes is us to say, you know what, Jesus, I wanna receive what you did for me. 
You already did the heavy lifting. You, you did the work. You died for my sin. My job is to receive it. Would you pray with me as we close? You know, as we uh, pray, I, I know that we're in various places, living rooms, apartments, and as we kind of bow our heads and, and close our eyes, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sin and I want to receive the gift of new life, eternal life through what you did. And if you're wherever you are, there's no formula to this. There's, it's not like there's exact words you have to say. You don't have to understand all the theology, but you just have to in your heart say, God, I surrender to you. I want to give you my life. And so I want to pray with you. If you want to do that, I want to encourage you as you pray with us, uh, you, can, you can put it in the chat and say, hey, I'd love, love some prayer, but you can also text the word HOPE to 320-320 and we are going to follow up with you. We're going to give you resources and we're going to come alongside of you to help you experience this new life where your graves can become gardens. And so Jesus, today, we just acknowledge, I acknowledge again, my belief in you. God, I believe that you came, that you died, that you rose from the dead. And God, I thank you that that resurrection power is available to every one of us that would just say, yes, we believe and we wanna surrender our lives to you. And so we surrender our lives to you today. Wherever we are, we surrender our lives to you. And we ask you, Lord, would you begin to turn these graves into gardens? Would you begin to bring new life into these areas that have represented death for us. We trust you to do it. We're going to worship you and believe you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.